Welcome to What's Next? Chats with American Studies alumni. I am Sandra Rath, and in this episode, my guest is Annika Kreller, Information and Public Affairs Specialist at the US Consulate General in Leipzig. From 2004 to 2010, Annika studied American Studies, Journalism and Political Science at the University of Leipzig, what was then the so-called Magister. Determined to become a journalist, Annika then graduated from the prestigious Henry Nannen School of Journalism in Hamburg in 2013. After graduation and already before, she worked as a freelance journalist, mainly writing for Brand 1 and Die Zeit. At the same time, she was a freelance editor for Rethink until February 2017, when she started working as the public affairs specialist at the US Consulate General in Leipzig. During the interview, Annika and I talked about her time working as a freelance journalist, what skills she thinks are necessary to work in international communications, and how to handle questions about your weaknesses. Enjoy this episode! Welcome, Annika. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Um, we're very happy to have you. Um, it's especially nice to chat with you again because um, I've interned with the consulate and it's been a while since we we had the chance to talk. So it's great to have you. Um, but first of all, how are you? How is the situation at the moment? Yeah, thank you, Sandra. <laughs> thank you very much, first of all, for inviting me to this very um, a wonderful project. I really, uh, I really um, wish something like this was around when I was about to finish university. So I think it's a really cool idea to have this podcast. And uh, yeah, thanks for asking how I'm doing. I mean, um, I guess hanging in there, like most people right now, I'd say, um, you know, it's challenging times for all of us. And um, yeah, I mean, our whole team at the consulate is in home office right now. And I have to say, I really do miss my colleagues, you know, having the personal exchange, exchanging thoughts and ideas, you know, face to face. So, um, yeah. So our work has also changed a lot, I have to say. You know, normally we have been on the road um, a lot in our three states, Saxony, Saxony, Anhalt and Thuringia, uh, meeting with people, meeting with students. And um, now, of course, that's not possible anymore. So we, um, we shifted a lot of things to online events and you know I have to say that has worked surprisingly well but you know in the end it's just not the same as meetings face to face you know those meetings are really important especially in diplomacy of course and public diplomacy that you can talk face to face so yeah so I hope um, this whole thing will be over sometime soon mm. yeah so do I um so let's just start with the questions um During your studies, you majored in journalism, political science and American studies. And how did you think about your professional future back then? Did you already know that political journalism was your goal? Yeah, so I've been interested in journalism for quite a long time, since my teenager years, actually. And then when I was 16, I did a high school exchange uh, in the US for one year. So um, I got really interested after that in the whole US um, topic, culture, everything. So when I came back, I was thinking, you know, how can I combine those two things that I really like, journalism and the US? And I had this goal or, I, you know, this dream of becoming a correspondent for German media in the US. 
So, you know, being 18, 19 back then, I was maybe a bit naive. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, if I want to become a correspondent in the US, maybe I should study American studies, journalism and political science. <laughs> so <laughs> that was my thinking back then. Um, you know, of course, it's not uh, as easy as as this. Um, and I soon realized that it would take a bit more than just <laughs> choosing the right subjects at university. But, you know, nevertheless, um, I never regretted the, the choice of subjects. And um, they really offered me a wide range of topics, you know, from U.S. literature to movie theory to political philosophy, you name it. So um, my university studies really um, broadened my horizon. So, you know, yeah. So I can only encourage anyone who's at this point right now to choose something that you're really interested in. So things will become a lot easier, I think, then. Mm, yeah, I agree. Yeah, if you if you just do something for the sake of doing it and not for, you know, really wanting to study something, it's you're very much likely to change your major anyway. So, yeah, I agree. Um, so after graduating with your Magister in American Studies, Journalism, Political Science, you went to the Henry Nannen School of Journalism. Um, how did you benefit uh, from this program and why did you decide to apply there in the first place? Yeah, so if you want to become a journalist in Germany, you usually have to do um, either a traineeship, a so-called volontariat, um, at a newspaper or at a broadcaster, um, or you have to attend one of the few journalism schools in Germany. So um, I knew that. Um, and then, um, you know, I first read about the Henry Nunn School when I was a junior in high school, actually. And, you know, back then the article, it called it the, one of the best schools in Germany and, you know, the Königsweg into journalism. So this stuck with me and it was always in the back of my head that I wanted to apply there someday. So I did. After graduating university, I applied at the Henry Nine School and I got rejected <laughs> um, the first time I tried. But um, then the second time I tried, I got in. And it was really, you know, the best experience of my life so far, I have to say, or one of the best, but yeah, maybe all, <laughs> maybe even the best, Yeah. <laughs> you know, both personally and professionally, I have to say it was um, only uh, one year and a half, but it really, uh, it's hard to describe really how much this influenced my whole life. Um, one thing is, of course, the professional aspect, you know, the school have, has a very um, hands-on approach. So you learn a lot about writing uh, techniques, about audio and video editing, about prototyping magazines, and just so much more. And the really good thing is that you learn from the best, really, because um, they invite professionals from the field to teach the students. So you have actual journalists teaching the students, which is really helpful. Mm. And then the second thing at the school is that um, you get access to internships at the best magazines and newspapers in Germany, basically. So... Um, you're really able to build a one-of-a-kind network. And this is just really important, having a good network, really, and especially if you are a journalist and uh, maybe even a freelance journalist. And um, so you meet all these interesting teachers and you meet people doing your internships, but also your fellow classmates um, are a really valuable network, you know, um, you know, those students. We were 20 in total, and, I mean, they were, they were really among the smartest and funniest people I've ever met, I have to say, and we're still in touch We try to meet uh, each year and uh, we also we have a joint website where the freelancers among us can um, be contacted for jobs. So, yeah, I, I really benefited so much from this school and I only can recommend, you know, giving it a try when you're interested in journalism. I know, I mean, there is a 
pretty tough admission tests, but don't be scared. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't make it the first time. I tried again. And you can mm -hmm. study for it, you know. Um, I actually, I, I bought a so-called Duden der Allgemeinbildung, <laughs> which gives, you mm -hmm. know, a broad overview of all kinds of topics, classical music, painting, history, politics, everything. And, you know, it became my constant companion <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Uh, but it was, you know, it was worth it. Yeah, I didn't even know that there was a Duden of Allgemeinbildung. So <laughs> that's interesting to just in general to know. Um, actually, I have a little follow-up question for that. Um, you said that you got rejected the first time you applied. So I guess or I assume that you had to wait then a year to apply again. And how did you fill this gap year? Yeah, so after graduating uh, university, I applied for several things, um, not just the Henry Nine School. This was, of course, my dream to go there. But, you know, there are different um, schools, other schools, and also um, a lot of newspapers offer this traineeship. So I applied for several things. I applied for traineeships, for journalism schools. Uh, I did get a lot of rejections <laughs> mm. from the large papers, for example. And then also I looked for other stuff that's out there. So there was actually an online news portal in Leipzig that time. It was called News.de. And they were looking for a staff writer. Mm. So, um, you know, this was really a pretty unknown news outlet, but it was in Leipzig, my, my hometown. So I also applied there mm. and then it worked out. So um, I got the staff writer position after university, which was really good because, you know, it gave me the security of having, you know, money. <laughs> right. And yeah. um, I mean, it was not my dream job, but I still learned a lot there. It was my first job after all. Mm. And then it was a really good you know, basis for, for further applications. So I knew I didn't want to stay, but, you know, I had this safe haven, so to say, and then I just continued applying for different uh, traineeships and also journalism schools. Hmm. Yeah. And you touched on several internships through the journalism program before, but yeah, what kind of internships did you pursue during your studies and how did they benefit your professional career yeah I actually did tons of internships <laughs> <laughs> so I did already five or six during my university studies um, you know I started out with the original edition of the Leipziger Volkszeitung in Watson actually <laughs> and then working my way up to the Spiegel magazine so those internships were really helpful because you know they helped me to grow professionally you know being just out in the field doing writing research writing actual articles it's it's very different from you know studying journalism mm. actually being out in the field mm. and then i did another four internships at the <laughs> just because it was part of the school program and they mm. were required to do um, but these were also very helpful because um, like i said before they really were helpful in building a network that i still profited from when i became a freelance writer later on But all the internships are also really helpful because they really help me to find out what I don't want. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I really encourage everyone to do several internships because, for example, you know, I did one at a travel magazine and I realized I had a pretty romanticized, <laughs> um, you know, vision of what travel writing looks like. And I realized, you know, it's it's not always that exciting as it sounds, maybe. And also, for example, the internship at the Spiegel was very interesting for me because, you know, being Spiegel, like, you know, this really good magazine. And I, I was always thinking about, well, it would be really cool to work there someday. But then, you know, I did an internship at the Berlin office of the Spiegel. 
And it really wasn't for me, I realized, because there was really, uh, it was tough. They have really this elbow mentality there. Mm. And I felt, or at least I felt that way. Um, I really experienced it as being very competitive among the editors and writers. So um, although it was really cool to work for them, of course, it was an honor to, to work there, actually. But I realized, you know, this is really not the working environment that's good for me. I'm not that type of person who's, you know, tough enough to compete every day with your colleagues. So really, I encourage everyone to do different internships. Mm. And maybe one thing I would change if I could go back in time is I would also do other internships, not just in journalism, because I really only did internships in journalism. Um, but, you know, especially if you study American studies, it offers you such a broad range of opportunities professionally. So, I mean, really try different fields, try different things, you know, do an internship, maybe at the newspaper if you're interested in media, but also try maybe an international organization or a big company or whatever interests you, you know. Um, I think that's really something I would recommend. And also, you know, at the consulate, we offer internships. <laughs> so hint, hint. <laughs> and you have been an intern with us. Yes. And um, so, yeah, also all the students out there who are interested in applying for an internship, please do so. It's a little bit hard right now due to Corona. But, you know, once this whole situation is over with, hopefully in summer, we will um, accept the interns again. And you can already apply now if you're interested. So please yeah. do. I, yeah, and I can only recommend the internship. I mean, it's such a good learning experience. I mean, I learned and, and I took from it so much. So I encourage everyone as well. And uh, maybe we can put the link with the information also in the show notes if people want to read more about it. Yeah, so we talked about your studies and the internships you did during your studies. And then graduation comes along and what was your situation then after also graduating uh, from the Henry Nannen School? Did you plan on becoming a freelance journalist right away or did you also apply for staff writer positions? Um, yeah, no, I was not planning on becoming a freelance writer actually. But, you know, I always said if I get a really good job offer, I would maybe also move to Berlin or Hamburg. But there wasn't really anything out there that interested me that much. So I said, well, you know, if I work as a freelancer, I can go back to Leipzig, my hometown, which, you know, where my family was, my friends. So um, it was a, a mix, I would say, of there was not the ideal job out there um, I was looking for. And then also... Being a freelancer gives you the flexibility, you know, to choose where you live, for example. So that's why I became a freelancer. And it, it worked out fine. Like I said, the network I built during the time at Henry Nunch School was really helpful for me um, in getting assignments. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's totally understandable. And I think also, especially in this teleworking world that we're living in now, I think this is really a good option if you want to be in a certain place to, you know be a freelancer um yeah so what would be your recommendation concerning self-organization as a freelancer because you don't have anyone telling you when and what you need to do so how did you organize yourself yeah and this is actually a really big challenge um, that no one is telling you what to do mm -hmm. it's a great freedom of course and, uh, and a lot of people appreciate that i think but um, it's also something you really have to deal with. You know, I, I don't have a really good tip. It's just some small things that are really basic but effective to me in organizing my workload as a freelancer. 
is you know using a to-do list mm. and having a decent calendar mm. <laughs> it sounds very basic but you know it's really important as a freelancer to keep track of your assignments and your deadlines and it might sound so obvious but you know i was surprised how often editors came back to me and said well um, we're so happy you handed this in on time and i was like isn't this the norm? And, but apparently mm. it is not the norm that people hand in their assignments on time. So it really helps when you get this reputation of being reliable and then people start recommending you to other outlets as well, for example. Mm. So, you know, be there, be on time, be reliable. That's really a very yeah. basic thing, but not everyone can do it, apparently. Mm. And then just for your mental health, I'd say, you know, find really out what kind of working environment works for you. For example, I was never a big fan of home office because I, I really like to have a clear cut line between, you know, work and free time. And I think it's hard to do when you're in home office. Uh, I think as many people learn now <laughs> during mm. Corona times. So I always had a shared office with other freelancers, some of them being journalists, um, some from other fields, graphic designers, for example. And this was really, really useful for me also to stay sane. <laughs> mm. And also, it's always good to have colleagues around, to have someone around, you know, to bounce off ideas, to have just to chat over coffee, just so that you not, don't feel too isolated, you know, being at your desk at home. Yeah. And you mentioned that your editors or your, your bosses, in a way, I guess, um, were surprised that you handed things in on time. But kind of going a step back, how do you even let, newspapers know that you're available to write for them did you write articles in advance and then sold them to the newspapers or did they come to you with specific assignments so the question is kind of how to get started to even you know let people know you're out there available to write I guess yeah you know I mean I was in a very comfortable position that I already started out with this great network from Henry Nunn school Mm. So I was in this comfortable position that the assignments came to me also when I started out. But, you know, this is, of course, not necessarily true for everyone. And I know that many freelancers work differently and they use at least a mix of, you know, having assignments coming to them or offering stuff. That's why I think also internships are so important, because whenever you do an internship, you already are building up a network. And you can always go back then and say, hey, do you remember me? Um, I used to work with you in, I don't know, a couple of years ago and I'm a freelancer now. Uh, let me know if you have anything. So, you know, just being a little bit upfront about it and approaching the people you know, I think is really helpful. Don't be shy. You know, you have to let people know that you're out there. Mm. And yeah, that's maybe a tip. And also, yeah, try to build up a network if you don't have one. You know, there are oftentimes, at least in journalism, there are... Um, associations of freelancers that have, for example, in Leipzig, a regular Stammtisch. And, you know, join those meetings, join those events where you meet people. Also, in journalism, there are a lot of conferences and, you know, meetings where the whole industry meets up yearly and really go there, you know, talk to people. I mean, I'm not a huge networker myself, so I know it can be really hard. <laughs> mm. But, you know, you really have to overcome your fear. And just talk to people, let them know you're out there. Yeah, that's maybe a tip. And then if you have successfully started in being a freelancer, another tip would be that, you know, try to find a steady source of income that covers your basics every month so that you just be safe that your rent is paid for every month. Um, this can be, for example, a recurring assignment or maybe even a part-time editing job at a regional newspaper or something like mm. that. So me, for example, one year into being a freelancer, I started working several days a month for a Berlin-based content marketing agency. 
So this was already a move away a little bit from real journalism, but it really helped me to feel less insecure about being a freelancer, you know, because it just provided me with a steady income. Yeah, that's another tip. But I know mm. it can be tough at the beginning. I know. But keep going. Don't give up. Mm, yeah. Um, I think sometimes you just need that kind of encouragement to, you know, not give up. <laughs> um, so you kind of already answered the next question that I had for you, which is if you had any contacts or networks with other freelance journalists and if so if you actively sought to do so to connect and I don't know you can maybe restate it or I don't know elaborate more if you have anything more yeah no no I really highly recommend looking for networks in your surrounding area or in your city and really meet with colleagues who are in the same situation as you are it's just really helpful because of course you can share experiences and also talk about texts if you have a problem if you get stuck You know, you basically, if you're a freelancer, you don't have colleagues. <laughs> so mm -hmm. those meetings can replace basically, um, you know, what, what colleagues normally do for you. And it's just really helpful. And also sometimes it can help with getting assignments, you know. For example, it happened quite a few times that I got asked, you know, if I know other journalists in Leipzig who could cover an event, for example, when I myself was not available. So I would pass on jobs, for example, to other people that I met um, during those Stammtische. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's all about connecting with other people who are in the same position as you are. And it's just good to know that you're not alone in this. Mm, yeah, for sure. So, but in the end, you decided that, you know, freelancing wasn't for you in the long haul, at least. So um, why did you make that decision to stop being a freelancer? Yeah, I mean, freelancing really has its pro and cons. But for me, it was mostly two things that bothered me about it. Uh, the first thing is I was doing a lot of stuff that was not the kind of journalism I have always dreamed of. <laughs> you know, I mean, of course, as a teenager, you have really idealistic, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> ideas of being a journalist. And I was also always dreaming about doing the long form, you know, re researching a relevant topic and then writing a nice long report about it. And I know some freelancers actually do this and I have a lot of respect for them. But I myself, I never really managed to get into this position because I was in a very lucky position that I got a lot of assignments coming my way. But this led to the effect that I did all the stuff that came to me, but I was never really brave enough to decline any assignment to get some time for doing my own stuff, for example. You know, mm -hmm. those topics important to me. So I kind of got caught in this place where I was dissatisfied with the work I was doing as a freelancer, but I was also not brave enough to change anything about it. You know, I was not brave enough to decline those assignments and just going on a research trip for three weeks, uh, for mm -hmm. example. So that was kind of dissatisfying. And then the second thing was that as a freelancer, you know, you always have the feeling that you could do more. And I think mm. this is the feeling that every university student knows very well. <laughs> yes. I had a hard time saying, okay, this text is good enough now. I stopped now with reading. I've done enough interviews for this text. I just hand it in now as it is. <laughs> mm. So um, like I mentioned before, I think I, I realized that I'm more of a nine to five person. I really like to have this clear cut end of the working day. And I think this is something it really it took me a while to realize and also to be honest with myself that this really cool freelancing lifestyle <laughs> maybe not something that I feel comfortable with uh, in the long term. 
So, um, yeah, I think that's just a tip I have for everyone out there, you know, just be honest with yourself and do what makes you happy. Yeah, do what mm -hmm. makes you happy. And if freelancing is nothing for you, if you're more of the nine to five person who needs someone to tell him what to do, basically, it's fine. It's fine if it works for you. Yeah, I think I'm also more of the nine to five person that needs structure. <laughs> I'm also not the person that's very creative in nighttime. I need to be at the desk in the morning and then stop at night or I don't know, six or whatever. So yeah, it's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And I agree that you have to like acknowledge what works best for yourself. Um, okay. So you're deciding that, you know, freelancing is not a long-term job for you. And in what professional fields did you apply once you were looking for employment with organizations or companies? And was it only the field of communications that you applied for or other fields as well? Yeah, well, I was not really thinking about quitting journalism altogether, to be honest. I had this really vague um, feeling of dissatisfaction with being a freelancer. So I started to look here and there for jobs, but not really. I had this uh, newsletter with job offerings, but, you know, I also wanted to stay in Leipzig. So I was not really serious about, you know, finding a new job. I was looking around, but not, you know, <laughs> not, really, mm -hmm. not really thinking about it. And then that I ended up at a consulate was uh, more of a coincidence, to be honest, because I always knew about the consulate because I studied American studies in Leipzig and I was always interested in its work. Um, so one day when I was trying to avoid having to start writing a text, <laughs> I, looked <at> the, <laughs> you know, I looked at the jobs opening page of the consulate or Mission Germany, that is more out of curiosity, to be honest. And then there was <laughs> my position was advertised and well, the required skills, they sounded like I could do it because of my training in journalism. And I thought, well, why not give it a try? You know, also the good thing was I had nothing to lose, right? So I was a freelancer, so I did not, I didn't have to quit anywhere or anything. Hmm. I just gave it a try and yeah, it worked out in the end. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, um, I get asked a lot, uh, especially by my friends who are journalists, if I ever regretted it, uh, you know, that I quit journalism. But I have to say no, <laughs> to be honest, not at all. Even it was always my dream to become a journalist mm -hmm. and I have changed career paths now but you know it was for me just the right decision I really found my dream job now because it unites so many of my interests and skills and yeah I could have never thought that when I was 16 or even when I was 25 probably but um, mm -hmm. yeah sometimes you just have to take the opportunity that's coming your way <laughs> mm. so how long did it take for you to find that position and apply for that position and how did you stay motivated during your your search of jobs yeah i mean i was always in this lucky position that i've never really had to wait a long time before finding mm. anything but i think the trick was that i didn't stick to a certain fixed job or idea of a job you know i think that's a trick you need to stay flexible somewhat You know, uh, when I did not get into Henry Nunn school the first time, I took the job in Leipzig at this news portal that no one knew, but it was mm -hmm. fine. And then I took it from there. So, you know, just be flexible and yeah, again, don't give up and, and don't aim too high at the beginning, maybe. I mean, it's good to have ambitious goals. I mean, you know, I always mm -hmm. had the goal of, for example, going to Henry Nunn school and it worked out in the end, but don't be too hard on yourself if it, you know, doesn't work out uh, in the beginning. And also, mm. you know, the first job doesn't have to be the perfect job. Also, as a journalist, you, you don't start out at Spiegel, for example, you know, you, you start out at the original newspaper or wherever and it's fine. It's fine, you know. Yeah, I think I really have to tell this to myself now as well, because I'm obviously in the process of 
applying this year so i need to i think remind myself of that as well <laughs> yeah i mean and don't get me wrong it's perfectly fine be ambitious and have high goals and also apply for the job where you think maybe i don't have all the skills you know mm. that are required give it a try definitely give it a try mm. but you know don't get frustrated if you don't get those jobs just mm. be a bit flexible but stay ambitious definitely stay ambitious. Yeah. don't get me wrong yeah i think it's more about managing your expectations and not getting too disappointed when maybe it doesn't work out so i think we all <laughs> at least i have to really manage my expectations <laughs> for this year at least so now that you are the information specialist or public affairs specialist at the consulate, what are the responsibilities now in, in your position? Yeah, I've been at the consulate for four years now. Mm. And it changed a little bit because at the beginning when I started the job, I had the only full-time position in public affairs at the consulate. So I basically did everything <laughs> public affairs related at the consulate. Um, so this was working with the media, writing speeches, you know, organizing events, posting on social media, doing school outreach, organizing programs with U.S. guest speakers. So tons of different stuff. But since December 2019, we now have a second uh, position in public affairs at the consulate. So a colleague transferred from the embassy in Berlin to Leipzig. So we have split up our portfolios now a little bit. So I'm focusing now more on the press side of things. So working with the regional media, doing our daily press review, taking care of our new newsletter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we can also put that in the show notes if people want to read that. <laughs> It would be great. Yeah, and I'm also still organizing our school outreach program, Meet Us. But tasks got split up a little bit now. And I'm really happy about this, actually, because, you know, being responsible for each and everything at the consulate in public affairs felt overwhelming at times, I have to say. And um, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very glad that I have more support now. Yeah. So, yeah, what does your day look like now? I assume there's not that typical day, you know, but what does a day look like in your position? Yeah, exactly. At least before Corona, every day used to be different. And this mm. is really what I love about this job. So one day you were on the road somewhere in Saxony, you know, with the consul general, going with him to meetings and press engagements. Then the next day you would maybe spend at your desk organizing the next school visit or mm. maybe writing a press notice. And then the next day, again, you would go maybe with a U.S. guest speaker to a panel discussion in Saxony-Anhalt. So it was just so many different things each day. And sometimes you wouldn't know what expected you at the beginning of the day. That's really the thing I like about this job. Of course, now things are a bit different. As I said, we have shifted a lot of our programming to the virtual realm. So mm. unfortunately, I spend all of my day at the desk now. I mean, the lockdown rules are important and we are really strict about them. And so I think it's totally okay to be in home office right now. It's the thing we need to do now to contain this pandemic. But Of course, you know, it gets frustrating. Mm. <laughs> And it's really pity that so much of my time now is spent behind my computer at my desk at home. Yeah, no, I think also the most memorable events from my internship were the ones where we got to go meet with people, I don't know, in schools or we had that one remember the uh, park ranger that we took to Wernigerode to speak yeah the day was always different and I also really enjoyed that about the work at the consulate so yeah I totally agree <laughs> um, okay so now that we talked about more of your personal CV related experience and your advice I would like to go to our second part where we ask some more general questions and the first thing I mean I kind of already asked about the organization of your workday as a freelancer but how do you organize your workday now maybe also in corona times but also in general 
Yeah, so the to-do list is still my best friend. Mm. <laughs> um, where, you know, I have a larger one for midterm project and a smaller one for, mm. you know, the daily tasks or maybe one or two days. And it's just really, it's nothing fancy. I know there are a lot of programs out there, computer programs too, but I just use yellow post-its. Mm. <laughs> and I write down each morning or the evening before, you know, what's my task for the next day. And it's so simple, but it's so effective. You know, it really helps me to structure my week and my day. And, and also I make sure I don't forget anything. So a very, very basic thing, but do it, people. <laughs> Have a to-do list. It's really mm. helpful. And then I'm also a big fan of the Inbox Zero strategy. So the goal is to have zero emails in your inbox at the end of every workday or, I mean, at least as few as possible, because now <laughs> it's not really possible in my case, at least to have a zero inbox at the end of each day. But um, what it means is try to have a meaningful system of organizing the daily flood of emails. So how I do it is, for example, if there's an email that's not relevant to me, I try to delete it immediately. Then if it's an email that can be answered really effortless in a really short time, I do that. And then it leaves me with a lot of other emails that I, um, and then I have a very elaborate set of subfolders in my inbox where I, you know, sort them into. So this leaves me not with zero, but with at least a manageable amount of emails at the end of each day. Um, of course, it doesn't work out every day. You know, when there are days when you're on the road the whole day, you know, you cannot do it. But I try at least every Friday evening <laughs> to have sorted to the emails of the week. Mm. So and I try to keep only the emails in my inbox that really need attention. And, um, you know, and the rest I either delete, <laughs> I answer or I move to subfolders. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting strategy, especially when you start out in a first job to manage your emails. I think it's, it's really something you have to learn also. It's a skill in a way. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, you know, f to filter is really a skill, I think. Mm. Um, it's But it's hard to give a specific tip, you know, it's just something you learn while doing the job, I think. It's helpful if you can filter quickly <laughs> what yeah. is important and what is not. And then don't just filter it in your head, but filter it in your inbox, you know, reflect it in your inbox. If you think this thing is not relevant, delete it or, you know, move it to a folder that you don't need anymore. Or, you know, mm. you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we talked about a little bit before about the time after graduation, also the rejection that you experienced with the Henry Lannan School. And so what would be your tips against self-doubt after graduation or during job application processes? Yeah, I think it's a really hard question because, mm. you know, we have all been there. And uh, when you're in this uncertain situation, there's little that can comfort you, I think. So, but just, I think it's good to, to know that, you know, we all have been there. So I think, or at least every woman, I'm yeah. not so sure about the men. But, yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I would say most people have been at a point like this in their life before. And mm. the important thing is try not to get paralyzed by this. Mm. It sounds a bit cheesy, but there's always a way forward somehow. And that's what I said before, you know, you don't have to start out with the perfect job. Uh, be flexible, be open to compromise, you know, and then be ready to work your way up if need be. Mm. Um, so that's the more general advice, I'd say. And then if it comes to maybe the whole application process itself, I would say it's really important to find a good balance between being modest and being self-confident. It's really good to really sit down and think about what you can, you know, know about the skills you have, but also about the things where you need more training or where you need improvement, maybe. 
mm-hmm. and have this prepared in a job interview and yeah just know about yourself and where your strengths and weaknesses are Mm. And but at the same time, don't undersell yourself. You know, it's it's about finding the right balance. I mm. So I, I see this sometimes because we have internship interviews at the consulate and it's sometimes interesting. And unfortunately, it's mostly young women. Mm. <laughs> I see very insecure. You know, they have those awesome CV. <laughs> and then we ask them maybe about the skill that they don't have. And then they get really insecure. And at the same time, then you have a young man sitting there. And you ask him about his skill he doesn't have. And he says, well, you know, I don't know how to do it, but I can learn how to do it. And, Mm. you know, don't be overconfident, but show some self-confidence and don't be too insecure in general, but also in in job interviews. Mm. But I also have experienced when you're young, it can be intimidating. Um, You think all the other people know so so much more than I do and they are Mm. better than me. But you know what? In German, you say, sie kochen alle nur mit Wasser. Mm. And I think in English, it's everybody puts his pants on the same way as you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, just remember, you know, I mean, everyone started out young and with fewer skills than they have now. And just believe in what you can do right now. Believe in the skills you already have acquired. And Mm. then just, you know, be honest to yourself about where you still have room for improvement Mm. and work on it. Yeah, but I actually have a little follow-up question as well. So would you recommend in a job interview, for example, kind of sugarcoating then your skill? Because there's these things like, well, I'm just too perfectionist or something like that, you know? And it's, I mean, it's a bit of a joke, but at the same time, you know, do you just say, I don't have the skill, but as you said, I'm willing to learn? Or do you say, I don't know something, but somehow turning it into an advantage? I don't know. You know what I'm getting at? <laughs> yeah, I think it's hard. I mean, I, I personally, I'm a fan of honesty, <laughs> mm, but I, yeah. it might be different for different um, situations and kinds of jobs, maybe. Maybe, and also maybe different at a small company versus a big company. So I'd say try to be honest and just show that you are willing to learn. I think it's a good strategy. Mm. And I mean, if you are able to turn a disadvantage into an advantage, then do it. But, you know, it still has to be convincing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Know? So yeah. it really depends on the situation, I would say, and on the okay. skill. But sometimes yeah. I think it's better to say, you know what, I've never done this before. But maybe you have something similar you have done or, you know, or you have um, an example from your internships or something where you also got a task that you have never done before and you were mm-hmm. able to manage it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just give a lot of examples of how you have overcome such situations in the past maybe you know Mm. it's always in general a good thing to work with examples you know just don't say I'm a perfectionist (laughs) even Mm. if you are but maybe Mm. give an example of how this maybe can really be a weakness I think if you're a perfectionist and you really think it might hinder you sometimes which I think Mm. it can it's perfectly fine to say that in a job interview if you can you know give an example maybe so people know you're honest and not just saying it because you read it in some yeah. <laughs> book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a provocatory question, I guess. But presenting your weaknesses, in my experience, at least something that's very hard, maybe because I'm a woman, I don't know. But yeah. I mean, like I said, it's about finding the balance because, mm-hmm. you know, also don't talk too much about your weaknesses either, mm. of course. Yeah. Um, but if, if you get asked about them, be honest. But otherwise, just talk about what you can do, of course. Right. You know? Yeah, Yeah, true. (laughs) Okay, so another question would be, what advice would you give your student self looking back now at your student career? Yeah, one is the one thing we already have talked about a lot is um, don't let the others scare you or intimidate you. 
Mm. Um, you know, I remember this very vividly um, for my political science studies during my gister. You were a first year student studying together with a fourth year student, for example. And then I was sitting in those seminars and I was so scared to say anything because all those people seem so smart and so eloquent. But don't get scared and don't let this discourage you, I guess. Um, focus on yourself. And again, what I said before, be aware of your skills and the things you can do good. Mm. And um yeah, it's okay. It's okay to be intimidated, but don't let it scare you off or hold you back. Yeah. And then another thing is, yeah, try out different stuff. I mean, it's it's really good to have a clear goal, but it's also really good to look beyond that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's what I said with the internships before. I really wish I would have done different internships, not just in journalism. Because, you know, being a student is the perfect time to experiment, mm-hmm. to try out different options and also to play with some career ideas maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it becomes much harder once you've started <laughs> the job and mm-hmm. once you've chosen one. I mean, you can always, of course, change career paths, but, uh, you know, being a student is the perfect time to experiment with internships and also with volunteer work, maybe. Also, volunteering can give you a good idea of what you like and where your strengths are, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I can plug our alumni association here that, um, <laughs> you know, I'm a volunteer and it gives you, especially doing this podcast or like event organization or, you know, reaching out to people, learning how to communicate. I think volunteering is really a great way during your studies to to learn practical skills that maybe you don't learn in your theoretical seminars. And I mean, it is a bit of a plug, but come join us. <laughs> Um, no, really, yeah. I, I can just support that. Because as you said, oftentimes this studying is very theoretical, right? So it's really good to, not just with internships, but volunteering gives you the opportunity to try hands-on what you've mm-hmm. learned and um, develop some skills that you don't get in theory. For sure, yeah. So now looking back after your studies or going back into the communications field, what skills, in your opinion, should students and graduates acquire if they want to work in the field of international communications or also communications in general? Yeah, American studies is is a good start (laughs) if you want to work in international communications. Because one thing we, um, I think, sometimes forget when we only move in those American study circles is that, you know, having good English skills is um, not something that can be taken for granted even today. Mm -hmm. And it's just a very important thing. Having good English skills is very important in international communications. But even today, I experienced that even many young people struggle with English. And um, we also sometimes have interns that are not from the American studies field, but from different fields. And for them, it's sometimes hard to do, for example, the internship interview in English. Mm. So it's a very basic thing, but um, also something to be aware of if you're an American studies student. You really have a great advantage there (laughs) to Mm. many students. Uh, A second thing is the cross-cultural understanding. Again, this is something that might sound obvious to American studies students, but it's it's not that clear maybe for others. And I really encourage everyone to take part in exchange programs, even if you have been to the U.S. before. And maybe also look at different countries if you're an American studies student. Um, I, for example, I spent half a year in Spain when I was a university student with the mm-hmm. Erasmus program. And it was really good to see and experience a different country because, you know, I've lived in the U.S. before and and now I got to know another country. And it's just really good to see how people approach life and work in a different country. 
And it's always interesting to see, you think our cultures are so similar, uh, you know, Spanish and German culture maybe, or US and German culture. But, you know, then in the end, if you live there, <laughs> you mm. really realize there are some really important cross-cultural differences out there. And it's just really good to be aware of them. So a third thing is uh, know how to research stuff. Um, so there are some techniques out there that I have learned at journalism school that I still use today. It's, for example, really good to know how to do an advanced Google search. Just there are some really tricks and tips you can use to make it more effective for your Googling. Mm. <laughs> and also how to find good sources. I mean, in today's world, there's so much information out there, but it's really essential that you know how to find reliable information in a short time. And I really recommend um, maybe to even take a class or a course in some journalism basics. There are journalism schools or also other media academies who offer those types of courses. Or maybe there's even the opportunity at university to sit in on a class. I'm not sure about how it works today. But if you have the opportunity to learn about some basic researching skills, it's very helpful. And maybe the final tip is this is when it gets closer to the job application or the actual job assignment. You know, it's really important in communications to know the audience. So, for example, in my case, it's really important to know the media landscape in Mitteldeutschland. You know, you have to know what topics they're looking for, what constraints they have, you know, why they wouldn't maybe print a certain topic or why they wouldn't do the interview on this topic, but they would prefer an interview on that topic, for example. So it's, it's really important working in communications, of course, to know who you're communicating with. <laughs> mm. It sounds very obvious, but, you know, it really helps if you really, really think about it. And if you don't know it, and if you're uncertain, then do some research, which brings me back to my third point, you know, really mm -hmm. know how to do effective uh, research and also with reliable sources. This, by the way, also applies to, uh, I think, students writing a term paper, for example, you know, it's really helpful to know your professor, what he or she likes and what he or she mm -hmm. is looking for. So, um, yeah, this is, I think, a very crucial thing in communications, know your audience. Mm, yeah, now maybe can add uh, in terms of journalism courses, at least at the University of Leipzig, as a part of the American Studies degree, you can choose electives. And within those electives, there's the chance to choose communications and media studies. And I'm not sure which specific courses they offer, but I'm sure there's something there to take um, as a class if you want to see what journalism is about. <laughs> So our last question of this interview, this a question that we ask all our guests because it's the title of our podcast and this is what's next. So where do you see yourself in five or ten years? Do you have a plan or do you have no plan? Yeah. Yeah, what's next for me is uh, starting a family yeah. <laughs> and then uh, taking on the big challenge of, you know, balancing work and being a mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, in terms of the job itself, you know, I have no real plans of changing anything right now. Yeah. Um, as I said before, I found a job that I love in the city that I mm -hmm. love. So why change anything? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to talk with us and sharing your advice and insights and your, yeah, your experiences. And um, I think this will be very helpful for a lot of students and alumni of American Studies and thank you. Stay safe and I hope to speak to you soon. <laughs> thank you for inviting me, Sandra. It was a lot of fun. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks again to Annika for your time and insights. And thank you for listening to this episode. And if you guys have any questions for any of our next guests, 
please don't be shy to ask them via comments or direct messages on Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn where we publish who will be on next. This really is your chance to ask what you always wanted to know. And you know, there aren't really any dumb questions. So please, please go ahead and ask. Other than that, have a great day and talk to you next time. Bye.